G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We are looking at John's Gospel, Chapter 6, Jesus Walking on the Water. It is one of the great signs that Jesus did. In fact, I would even call it the fifth sign, this walking on the water. Although it's not done in public, it's done for the disciples alone to see. In fact, we're going to have two miracles within this very, very short passage. It is found in John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. So Jesus walking on the water is in these few verses, and in fact, two miracles are found, even though the second one seems to be nonchalantly stated. Let me read to you one particular verse, and it says, in fact, two. John six nineteen and 20. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. These are amazing words of comfort. These are amazing words, not just for that circumstance, but for every circumstance, not just for the twelve apostles, but for all believers, not just applicable to the first century AD, but applicable to the 21st century AD, and indeed for all time. Jesus walking on the water speaks volumes about not only who he is, but how we can be delivered from fear and dread and future anxiety. God wants to take us from all these things and put us on a rock where we have his peace, his grace, his love, his joy, his all. So let's take a closer look at all this. First of all, we're going to see that the crowd has come so that they can make him king. After all, he just multiplied the loaves and fishes and fed 5,000 men. They said, we've been looking for a king. This guy will do. He's a prophet. He will do for us what we've needed. It's almost like What happened in the Old Testament when Israel demanded a king from Samuel? Samuel reluctantly gave them a king, in this case Saul, because, well, that's what they wanted, and God said to Samuel, do it. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me, the Lord their God, from being king over them. So Samuel gives them a king, and Saul is him. And by the way, though Saul gets a lot of bad press in Scripture— and rightly so. He was very good on the military side, and that's one of his accomplishments is saving the people of Jabesh Gilead from the oppressors, and he was honored for it at the time of his death. But that's pretty much it. Other than that, Saul was a hard king, and furthermore, he became backslidden and estranged from God. So that was that. Well, now, fast forward 
a thousand years later to the time of Jesus. And he, of course, is a king. Jesus was born a king. Jesus died a king. Jesus is returning to this planet as a king. It's all the plan of God. However, timing is of the utmost importance. Just doing the right thing, but doing it at the wrong time, makes it a wrong action. We need to do the right thing at the right time, according to the direct leading of God, in order to get results that last for eternity. So in this lesson, we're going to see that the people try to make him a king. He's not ready to become king. The time hasn't arrived. So he will escape to the mountain while his disciples escape to the lake, the Sea of Galilee. They are heading towards Capernaum, but before they make it, there is a great storm on the lake. It is so bad that though they are experienced fishermen, they fear of drowning. Jesus comes into the picture, not only with words of reassurance, but the miracle of walking on the water. And there's even a bonus miracle that I will share with you on this lesson. Let's read now the entire portion from John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. Our lesson is called Walking on the Water, and again the reference is John six fifteen to 21. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. So he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Our reading is from John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21, and our lesson is called Walking on the Water. Now, friends, this is actually what I would say the fifth miracle that Jesus performed, one of the signs, at least to his disciples. It was a private miracle in that sense. And so would be the bonus miracle, which is at the end of this reading. But let me just say that the term walking on the water does imply the miraculous, the supernatural, something that only God can do or God's chosen servant can do. In this case, they're both one and the same. Son of David, son of God. Walking on the water, while of course physically impossible, is gloriously impossible when God is in the picture. If anything we learn about the God of the Bible is that all things are possible with him, and indeed nothing is impossible for the Lord. Or, as was said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Please understand, he can do anything, and therefore the supernatural elements of Scripture, which are found from Genesis to Revelation, are made possible because of the omnipotence and the omniscience and the omnipresence of God. I know those are nice big theological terms, but God is all-powerful, 
all-knowing, all-present, and yes, nothing is impossible for him. So whatever we read in Scripture is possible with God, even though it's very impossible for man, and to be honest, very impossible for the other gods of the nations. Only the God of the Bible, who claims, rightly so, to be the only God there is, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we're going to see God the Son doing a great miracle, walking on the water. And the key is, he kept his eyes on the Father. Now, of course, this incident of walking on the water is mentioned in other Gospels, because in it, Peter also gets out of the boat, and he walks on the water. How does Peter stay above the waves? Well, it's simple. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. As long as he's fixed on Jesus, he will always stay above the waters. But as soon as his mind got on circumstances, the wind, the waves, the storm, he'll begin to sink. And there is a lesson for us all. If you're going to have peace and joy and love and victory and overcoming power in your life, you have to have your mind on God. But if your mind is on yourself or on your circumstances, you will hit the bottom very quickly like a dead weight. Well, we don't want that. None of us should. So let's learn some lessons here about the power of God and the presence of God that is found in John six fifteen to 21, Jesus walking on the water. So let's begin with verse 15. He has just completed this messianic miracle of feeding the 5,000. It was so obvious he had to be the servant of God. But people are going to get it wrong, of course, because until you are born again, you neither can see nor enter in to the things of the kingdom of God. Once you're born again, your spirit is reborn, you're connected with God, you can therefore extend the antennas, seeing, hearing, understanding, and believing the deep things and even the simple things of the Lord found in Scripture. So, Anyway, the multitude are looking for their king, a king that will do as Saul was meant to do, go ahead of them, fight their battles, give them a symbol, give them a protective covering. Well, I'm pretty sure the multitude wanted the same thing from Jesus, something he is more than able to provide, but the time was not yet. So it says here in verse 15 of John 6, Jesus had just finished his miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he saw the multitude that they were coming his way, and they wanted to take him by force to make him a king. Very interesting, and John doesn't elaborate any more than that. They believed he was the man they were looking for, and he should be king. Now, the fact they had a desire for Jesus to make, or for Jesus to be king, I should say, was understandable. He has all the ingredients necessary. The character, the charisma, the giftedness, the leadership abilities, he had it all. But it wasn't the time. And furthermore, the last thing he needed was to be forcibly made a king. At the wrong time, it could cause very serious complications. So what does Jesus do? He left the scene quickly and went to a mountain to be alone. 
Though Christ is ordained to be king, to avoid the cross before the crown would short-circuit God's divine plan of salvation for humanity. Then that leads us to John 6.16, to the sea. The disciples of Jesus who were left behind when Jesus went to the mountain. Remember, the mountain is on one side and the sea is on the other. Jesus goes into one direction, and now his disciples will go in the opposite direction, to the lake, to the ship, get on the ship, and they're going to sail towards Capernaum, which was their headquarters. It was already dark. Jesus has not yet rejoined them because they were, well, he was on the mountain, They were on the sea. Somehow they needed to get to Capernaum with or without Jesus, and they do precisely that. Perhaps they felt they would meet with him in Capernaum itself. He wouldn't need a lift on the ship. Exactly what they're thinking was we can't say, but what we do know is that they're one direction, he's in the other, to Capernaum. And then, verse 18, unfortunately, it's dark, And now there's another complication. There is a great wave on the lake because of the big wind. It's probably unusual, I would think, to be sailing on the lake at dark. Technically possible, but not advisable. So they're already kind of stretching their luck, so to speak. And now they have the complication of the great wind. The great wind is coming off the Arabian Peninsula, most likely, though it doesn't say, and the wind is going into the basin of the lake, stirring up the waters, and now they have waves. Not big enough to surf on, but certainly big enough to toss the ship from side to side. And therefore, this unexpected wind, coupled with the darkness, adds to their sense of terror. One moment it's calm, the next moment it is absolutely tempestuous. What do you do? And remember, these are experienced fishermen who knew this lake like the back of their hand, and they really didn't know what to do. It almost appears they were making a quick getaway from the crowd, just as Jesus did, but in the opposite direction. So they were actually stewing and fearful, though they be grown men. It says in verse 19, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. All right, they were definitely afraid. They were basically five or six kilometers out on the lake, and there, in the midst of their terror, they saw Jesus walking on the water, and he was coming close to them. But instead of rejoicing at this wonderful fact, they were actually petrified. They probably didn't even recognize it was him. But that is how it works. When you're in deep trouble and you belong to the Lord, far from being distant from you, the Lord comes ever closer to you. And in this case, Jesus does for them what he does for us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us, but to be with us always, even to the end of the world. So what happens is in John 6, verse 20, Jesus offers words of reassurance while walking on the water. He speaks to them that it was him. Therefore, there was no need to be afraid. Here is the lesson for us all. 
When Jesus is in the picture, bringing him into the boat, into the house, into the head, even into the heart, then you have nothing to be afraid of. You will land on your feet. Because if God is with you and God is for you, then nothing and no one can be against you. So basically, Jesus is there in the picture, and we learn in verse 21 of John 6, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Christ's words of reassurance replaced fear with joy. However, there is a big miracle that gets absolutely no fanfare whatsoever. Jesus comes into the boat. Now remember, the boat was five or six kilometers from the shore. But what happens is utterly amazing. As soon as Jesus gets into the boat, they, the disciples, Jesus, and of course the boat, are immediately at the shore. This is utterly uh, breathtaking. What Words cannot describe what this would have meant. Now, of course, nobody understood this miracle. The multitudes weren't there. Only the disciples. They see Jesus walking on the water. That's their private miracle. They see Jesus in the boat, and immediately they're at the shore. That, again, is their private miracle. Now, for anyone who knew what was going on, they remember Jesus didn't get into the boat when they set sail, the disciples. But once they arrive at the shore, Jesus is in the boat. If anyone puts two and two together, they should have been utterly and amazingly overwhelmed. So our lesson is called Walking on the Water. And our lesson for life is this. Bringing Jesus into your boat, house, or heart is the greatest problem solver imagined. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.